Um, want to welcome you, Mercy House, uh, to, to the stream if you're getting on um, now. Or those of you that maybe this is your first time, also want to welcome you uh, if, if you're just getting on. My name is Pastor Robert, and uh, we're going to take a look at Philippians chapter 2. So be opening up to Philippians chapter 2 in your Bibles if you haven't done so already. Uh, we've been looking at this letter that's written to a local church, the Church of Philippi. And uh, from what we can tell from the letter, the church was pretty healthy. They had a real, uh, they were very centered on the gospel. They seemed to be very tight-knit as a, as a family. They seemed to be on mission uh, to make disciples, both in their local region, but also beyond. And so partly we know that because they're giving money to the Apostle Paul to carry out his mission in other places. And so one of the ways to look at, at uh, Philippians is it's like a thank you note uh, that Paul is writing to them to thank them for the support uh, that, that they've been uh, giving him. And you would think if they're, they're going, you know, doing so well that he would give them a trophy, maybe put them in the Hall of Fame and give them a pat on the back. But uh, instead, he, he does encourage and commend them, but, but he is uh, exhorting them to continue to grow, both in their own personal spiritual growth, but also in the mission uh, that they're on uh, as a church. And so, so far, he's been saying things to them like, I'm praying that you will abound more and more right, in, in love for one another. He uh, is telling them to pursue a life that's worthy of the gospel. Uh, he's telling them to stand for the gospel and to strive and suffer for the gospel mission. He uh, it was telling them last week when we looked at the beginning of uh, chapter 2 uh, to empty themselves of selfish ambition and selfish uh, self-interest and instead look to the interest of others, uh, emulating Jesus and his mind of laying his life down uh, for others. And, and so th this is a high calling that uh, Paul is presenting to them. They're, they're, again, they're doing well, they're growing, they're maturing, and he is just continuing to point them towards further growth. And I, I think the, the danger when, when you're getting this kind of like uh, exhortation is you think it's merely an exhortation to just try harder. Just grit your teeth and, and do something more than you're already doing. And, and so not only does Paul give them this encouragement, this exhortation, uh, he also gives them a, a gospel framework for how they are to engage in this spiritual growth. And this is really what we're looking at today, is this gospel framework. How, how you, and this is Paul's verbiage, how do you work out the salvation that you've already been given? And so we want to look at a couple of questions that I think this text answers. And, and so one of those is, how is your salvation worked out? Right? What does he mean by that? And then number two, how do I know that I'm actually participating in the working out of my salvation? What would be some indicators that, that I'm working out my salvation? Uh, so let's look at this first question in the first couple of verses. How uh, is my salvation through the gospel worked out in daily life? Philippians 2, 12 to 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So how do you work out your salvation that's been given to you through Christ? The short answer is obedience. It, it's obedience. You, you see him saying uh, that they need to obey. And this is common throughout Paul's writings and really throughout the New Testament. 
that genuine faith is always coupled with obedience. I mean, it's what the book of James is saying when he says faith without works is dead. Uh, he's not saying faith is a work. He's saying that works always accompany genuine faith. So something similar here is what Paul uh, is saying. And he commends the Philippians for their obedience. And he, and he commends them that they were obedient when he was with them. So when he was there planting the church and pastoring them in the early days, they were obedient. But not only were they obedient when Paul was there, they were also obedient when Paul wasn't there. And so he commends them for that, which is really a good sign that they have genuine faith. It's one thing to be obedient when uh, the planter's still there, the, uh, that Paul is still there, the apostle, but for him to leave and go on and plant other churches and for them to remain obedient uh, is a really good indicator that they had uh, a genuine faith experience in the gospel. Uh, it reminded me of, of summer camp. Well, we just did uh, teen camp uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was it, it was virtual, but but it just got me thinking about uh, the the dynamic of camp. And so, camp can be a very emotional experience. And so, uh, you hear about the camp high, uh, where where kids will hear the gospel, they'll be open to it, they'll respond to it, maybe outwardly at an altar call or in some way, um, and then two weeks later they're back to their old life, right? And so what, what Paul is saying to the Philippians is uh, when, when he was there, it was not just a camp high. It was genuine faith that was placed in Christ. And he knows that because of their obedience. Now, again, you hear the word obedience, you immediately think, I, I got I to try harder. This is something that I've got to do on my own. God's done his part. Now I do my part. Uh, and so Paul knows that. He knows that, that whenever there's an exhortation to obey, we uh, tend to worship our own human will apart from Christ. And so what he does in, 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 this, in this section that I just read is he gives us a gospel framework for how you approach obedience. Um, and so he, the, the, we, we could sum up the gospel framework in, in two words, I, I would say. Uh, truth and grace. Truth and and grace make up the, the gospel framework. So the first part is truth. Uh, he says to work your salvation out with fear and trembling. So this idea that, that you have a reverence, a, a respect for God, you are submitting uh, to God. There's a lot of fear and trembling talk in the Old Testament, uh, which is certainly something that Paul's reaching back to, no, no doubt. Uh, uh, it made me think of the book of Ezra. Um, book of Ezra is a, a time when uh, the people of God have returned from exile. They, they experienced this, this discipline from the Lord over 70 years, and then they return. And they return with resources from a pagan king that's uh, giving them what they need to rebuild the city and rebuild their uh, temple to reinstitute the sacrificial system. Not only does God give them that, but he gives them the, the word of God. He gives them Ezra, a Bible teacher. I mean, they, they just are given this uh, amazing opportunity to reinstate their nation and their worship. And when they begin to expose themselves to the word of God, um, they realize they're sinning against God. They realize they've been intermarrying with idol-worshiping people in the land and that the word speaks to that and that they, they are in sin. And so they go to their pastor, they go to Ezra, and they say, hey, we, we realize that this is happening. And this is how Ezra describes that event. Ezra 9 verse 4 says, Then all who trembled at the words of the, of the God of Israel, because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles, gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. 
So he, he, he likens those that are, are wanting to obey the word of God as those that are trembling at the words of God. Um, now you'd say, well, th- that kind of fear and trembling talk, that belongs in the Old Testament. Yeah, of course, but not the New Testament. I, I wouldn't be so quick to say that. In fact, you, you may want to back up a few verses and look even in Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11, where it says, talking about Christ, therefore God has highly exalted him, as in Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I mean, that description of King Jesus does elicit some reverent fear and trembling. Uh, we, we could go to the book of Revelation and, and see the exalted Jesus. He, he is not a Jesus to be trifled with. He is certainly a Jesus that is, is worthy of our fear, of our reverence, of our uh, obedience. Um, now, notice that Paul is not saying that you must obey in order to get salvation. Right? He's, he's not saying that. He's saying you need to work out the salvation that you already have. Right? Work your salvation out with fear and trembling. Uh, we are saved by grace, not by works. I mean, Ephesians 2.8. Um, this was true in the Old Testament too. I mean, think about the Ezra story. Uh, did, did, did God say, okay, now you folks in exile, you obey, and then if you obey, then I'll bring you back to Jerusalem and I'll give you resources to rebuild the temple. No, that's not what he does. He brings them back out of exile by his grace. He gives them resources to rebuild the, t- the temple, to, to reinstitute worship. He gives them the word. He gives them Ezra. It is only then that they realize, oh, we're disobeying and we need to repent and obey uh, what God has said in his word. And so we're in the same boat. We, we have been saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Um, and then we work that salvation, that free gift of salvation. We work it out in the daily life of walking with Jesus. Um, and it's, even that is by grace. I think sometimes we, 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 at least experientially, we think we're saved by grace but then, from, from once we're saved, then we, then we have to uh, live by works. And that's not, that's not what Paul's teaching. I mean, even look at verse 13. He says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And you read that and you think, well, Wait a minute. I thought it was me being commanded that I work out my salvation. And now you're saying it's God working in me to will and to work. And, and it's Paul's way of saying that even your effort in, in, in the process of what we'll, we'll learn in a minute, it's called sanctification, even that effort is by grace. So I think one of the ways that maybe better understand this is to understand the nature of salvation, right? The, the saving that Jesus does for us on the cross, uh, it's, it's kind of a package that includes multiple things. And those, those kind of three big categories are justification, sanctification, and glorification. Those are all under the umbrella of salvation. So let's think about each of these. So justification is that point in time when you put saving faith in Jesus, you're forgiven of your sins, you're reconciled with God from that point forward throughout eternity. Right? That's, that's justification. You are justified. 
And, and that is a moment in time, and it is by grace, it is through faith. But if you're genuinely justified, you will immediately begin a process, right? Not a point in time, but a process of being made holy, right? And that is sanctification. And so, and so this is what Paul is describing here when he says, work your salvation out. He's like, work out the salvation you've been given at this point in time when you became a Christian. Work it out in the daily. That's the sanctification part. So in a sense, you've already been saved and you're being saved as you experience the grace of God in your daily life. And then the third part of the package is glorification. So glorification is that point in time when you meet Jesus face to face and you are completely made whole. You're completely made holy. All those imperfections, all those character flaws, all of that will be extracted from you and you will be back to the original intent that God had when he uh, created human beings. Um, all of this is under that one umbrella of salvation. So if you have justification, you will have sanctification, you will have glorification. It's a package. Uh, even in like Romans 8.30, Paul, he says, those he's justified, he will also, he, he, he has glorified. He says it in the past tense, both words. He's, he, he's justified you, he will glorify you. Right? It's, a, it's a done deal. It's, uh, it's a package. Um, now, one of the details in here that I think is both challenging and encouraging is that uh, Paul reveals the thoroughness in which the, the, God's grace is, is transforming us. Notice that he says that, that God is working in you to will and to work according to his good purpose. He, he's letting us know that this change that God is making over time in, in a practical daily way is not just merely a surface kind of a thing. This is not just... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grit my teeth. I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to try to be a better person this year. I'm going to make a, you know, a New Year's resolution. I'm, uh, I'm going to resolve with my human will. He's saying, no, no, God is at work, not, not just in your actions. He's actually at work in the, the deeper level of your will. Your desire is being transformed by the grace of God. So it's not just this sort of surfacey kind of, I want to fake it but I'm actually being transformed inwardly by the grace of God. And maybe think of uh, the way that I usually handle car repair. So when I send my car in to get fixed, uh, it usually has some presenting problems. You know, it's making a noise. There's a light going off on the dashboard, and I send it in. And they find out, you know, what's going on with the issue that I was concerned about. But then they say, now, sir, we found a few other things. And then they go in deep, deep in the bowels of, you know, the, the van or the car. And, and, and it, it's like you also, you have this issue with the brakes. You have this issue with uh, one of your pistons. You have this issue. And, and, and they do this thing with me where they're like, this really has to get done now. And this thing could be held off. And, and so usually whatever, whenever they say this could be held off, I'm like, yeah, let's hold off on that. <laughs> right? And why is it? Well, it's because I don't want to pay for it. I don't want to pay for it, or I can't pay for it, right? Now, I have a little different attitude with one of my cars because one of my cars has a warranty. Mm. And so when they call me and they say, we found this thing in this engine, what, do we, what should we do with it? I'm like, fix it. And they're like, well, we can make this kind of fix or we can make it like a really expensive fix. I'm like, make it a really expensive <laughs> fix, right? 
I mean, I want to milk that warranty as much as I possibly can. And so what, what we have when we have the, uh, the grace of God working out our salvation in, in us is, is we have an infinite resource that we can rely on in order to be transformed, not just at the surface level of our actions, but in the depths of who we are. And we, we, we should milk it, right? We should milk it. It's like a warranty, this infinite resource that we have for God to make us new. Um, the, the Westminster Confession, which is a, it's an old confession that comes from the Presbyterian Church, uh, has some helpful just descriptions of, of certain biblical concepts. And, and the, the part that talks about sanctification says this, and I've edited it a little bit, taken out some of the maybe harder things to understand, but, but he says this, sanctification is a work of God's grace through the powerful operation of his spirit, applying the death and resurrection of Christ unto them. Right. So this, this grace that, that was given to you at the cross of Jesus Christ, it, it didn't just save you from sin and give you eternal life. It's, it's being applied to you by the Spirit on, on the daily, every day. It, the Spirit is at work sanctifying you. Uh, it goes on. It says, renewed in their whole man. So your whole person is being sanctified. Not, not just surface level, but down into the depths. Describes it as... Uh, having the seeds of repentance unto life and all other saving graces so stirred up, increased, strengthened as they more and more die unto sin and rise unto newness of life. So this gives a little bit of description of how does this sanctification thing happen? And, and it describes it as seeds of repentance unto life being planted in you. And then the Holy Spirit stirring up those seeds to produce growth. That's what seeds do, right? They produce growth. And that, that growth is this dying to the old life, dying to sin and being resurrected uh, to new life in the practical, in the daily. I mean, we just sang it, right? The resurrected king is resurrecting me. That, that's, what that, that's what we're singing. Not just resurrected at the end of days, but resurrected now. Like God is resurrecting us out of our sin and out of our shame. And this is by grace. This is by grace. And, and in fact, the more sanctified you are, are becoming, it means the more you're understanding how to rely on grace. You're using more of the grace. <laughs> it's a little bit like treading water. I, I was talking to a student uh, last week who's learning how to swim for the first time. And uh, he, he told me, he said, hey, I, I treaded water for 30 seconds. <laughs> And uh, the other student that was on the, the, the Zoom call with me was like, wow, 30 seconds, that's really good. <laughs> and he said, no, you don't, get, you don't understand. This is so hard for me. And the reason it was hard for him is, is because he was panicking. He felt like he was going to drown. And so he was flapping his arms wildly and kicking his feet wildly, which it, it seems like the thing to do to save yourself from drowning. But all the while that he's doing that, his instructor's saying, relax, relax. Let the water carry your weight. You, you merely need to move very, very slowly and the water will do it. And I thought that, that is a great illustration of what it means to work your salvation out and God is working that out in you simultaneously, right? Uh, yes, you're, you're, you're having to exert effort, but somehow that effort is really more about learning how to rely 
on grace to lift you, to, to, to carry the weight of your sin. Not just eternal kind of penal substitution sin, but, but the sin that is residing in us as fallen humans. That grace, it, it lifts us up, lifts us out of that kind of experience. Now, that's kind of the, kind of the, first, the first idea, first uh, answer to the question, how, how do we work this out? Right? We work it out by, by trembling at the word of God, but obeying in reliance on grace. <laughs> Right? Trembling at the word of God, but, rely, but, but doing it while we rely on grace. Now, how do you know if that's actually happening? I mean, it's one thing to say it, and I think it's helpful to get kind of that, that theological gospel framework in your brain and, and to understand that once you jump in the water and try to learn how to tread. Um, but how do I know if it's working? How do I know if I'm doing it? And Paul, I think, gives us some, some great... Uh, indicators of, of how we would know if it's working. So verse 14, 15, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. It, it, I mean, it's so typical of Paul, right? He moves from talking about the gospel uh, to, to talking about life in the church and the mission. I mean, they're, they're, these are intertwined in these two uh, verses. So first, he talks about relationships in the church. He says relationships in the church should be without grumbling and without disputing. So without grumbling, what does he mean by that? Uh, you can think of grumbling or quiet murmuring is another uh, way to translate that. Just a, a, like a buildup of disagreements in the church, of, of uh, bitterness, of resentment, of kind of simmering anger, but not talking about it. Right, not not going to uh, people that you're upset with, or uh, but but just kind of simmering and, and and grumbling to yourself, maybe to a few others. He's saying, don't do that. In in all things, don't don't grumble, right? But also don't dispute. So disputes more open. It's like an open disagreement, um, and so that is more on the end of just being oppositional. Now. Not all disagreements in the church are wrong, right? There's something healthy about honest communication, about, about dialoguing, about debating, about disagreeing, um, but doing that not in, a, in an oppositional way. Uh, I think the kind of person he's describing is somebody who they're just oppositional for oppositional sake. Like this is just what they do. They just butt heads with, it, with everybody they possibly can. And he's saying, no, that, don't do that. that. That's not how... You live in uh, the community of the church. Uh, why does this kind of thing happen? A lot of reasons. I, I, I was just thinking about these. It's not an exhaustive list, but just some, kind of some of my own thoughts. Um, I mean, one is it's the spirit of our age, right? We question everything. I mean, we live in an academic community, uh, and that's just what you do. What, anybody presents a, an idea or a book, or you just, you just try to tear it apart. And there's, there's something good about that because you end up thinking well about the things that you believe and you just don't take them at face value. You dig in and you ask hard questions. But again, it, it can move over into this kind of oppositional uh, way of, of doing church life. Um, sometimes it's just lack of humility, just thinking that we know best, that, that our perspective is just always the best. It's always right. Um, that's, a, that's a lack of humility. 
and, and needing to, to come down off, off of that and say, you know what, sometimes I'm not right. Sometimes I, I, I don't know what's best, and I need my brothers and sisters uh, to engage uh, with each other to figure out what is uh, the best. Um, or just general rebellion. I mean, as human beings, we're just rebels. Like, our flesh, it just, it just rebels. So if there's authority, we just want to rebel against it. Um, and so these are the kind of things that, that are in our souls that the Lord is wanting to work out, right? He's wanting to work out uh, these kinds of things and help us to repent from these things and to uh, obey by His grace. Um, the, <clears throat> this is uh, probably not the list that we would have come up with if we'd have been given the list, right? If we've been told, work your salvation out, for it's God who works in you, and then we'd think, okay, first thing first, got to read my Bible, check. Uh, I've I got to stop cussing, or I've got to love my family well, or I've got to give generously to the church, or, or something like that, which nothing wrong with those things. And those are certainly uh, places uh, where we can work out our salvation, right, with fear and trembling uh, by God's grace. Um, but, it, but what Paul's doing is he's pointing to church life as the laboratory where you work out your salvation, and he's already been leading up to this. I mean, last week, he's saying, empty yourself of self-interest and self-ambition and look to the interests of others. Right? He's already been talking about community life, family life in the church. And now he's giving us a little bit of, of, of uh, some red flags that if there's grumbling and there, there is uh, uh, disputing, these things are indicators that you're not emptying yourself of self-interest and you're not looking to the interests of others. When you're a grumbler and, and you're disputing for the sake of disputing, that, that's not looking to the interests of others. That's looking to your own interests. So it's, it's Paul's way of like revisiting what he talked about in earlier verses about looking to the interests of others. But now he's, he's kind of digging in a little bit deeper and saying, now, if you're grumbling and you're disputing, then you can know that you're not looking to the interests of others. And he sees the church and the family of the church as the place to work out your salvation. Like, this is where it gets real. Not just a nice devotional life and a nice little family. Um, that, that's, those things are good, but where you work it out is side by side with brothers and sisters in Christ who are also working out their salvation. And doing that together is really where you see the, the grace of God being released in the lives of, of followers of Jesus. Um, Second, we see uh, this working out uh, through relationships in the world. Um, you know, he, he says that uh, if, if you're working out this salvation in the church, you, the result will be you'll be without blemish. Um, and he's hearkening back to when he was, a few words before, when he says blameless and innocent. Same kind of idea, without blemish. And he's saying that this working out of salvation in the church community doesn't just affect the church community, it affects the church's witness in the world. And so if they're working out this salvation by God's grace, uh, they then are reaching out to the world. And that's the mission part that Paul's talking about. Now his description of the world is pretty negative, right? He says it's crooked and twisted and dark. Those are his descriptors. Now crooked uh, is the Greek word skolios, where we get scoliosis, right? So it's very much a literal, like, something that's really, really twisted. Um, and then twisted or perverted, really perverted is really the, probably a better translation of that second word. 
Uh, and perversion is anything that's, been, that's good that's been taken and it's been twisted. So a good thing that's gone uh, at least slightly bad. And this is the whole fallen world. This is the world we live in. Uh, it's crooked. It's, it's twisted. It's not all bad. There's a lot of good things about it. There's a lot about it that, that still is glorious and it works. And there's, there's common grace everywhere we look. But it's also crooked. And so uh, whenever I think about this concept, I think about my finger. I have this crooked finger uh, that I, it's because I broke it when I was playing Little League Baseball. And it didn't heal right. It's crooked. Now, does it still work? Yeah, it works pretty good. Is it working at 100% capacity? No, it's, it's not. Um, and so sometimes it hurts. And sometimes I'm trying to do something and it's, it's not quite working like the, the, the one that's on my left hand that's in great shape, right? And the world is like this. The world is like this. Right? There are good things about this world, beautiful things about this world, but it's, it's all twisted. It's all tainted by sin. Mm -hmm. um, now, what you would think is that Paul would then say, now, Christian, you get out there and you straighten it out. You straighten that world out. It's a crooked world. It's a twisted world. You need to straighten that thing out. It's kind of like you deal with scoliosis. So my, my daughter, Kayla, had a little slight scoliosis, and she went to a physical therapist and she did all kinds of exercises and stretches and it was just like this very, very slow incremental change over a long time and lots of copays and, 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 and she was able to, to straighten up. And so you, you would think that that would be what would, Paul would say. But that's not what he says. He, he shifts metaphors. And he says, church, you need to be a light in the darkness. That's a different kind of concept, then we've got a twisted world, we've got we to straighten it out. Um, and so part of what he's saying here uh, is he's pointing to how bad things really are in the world. So much so that he is likening the world to darkness. And I think, again, he's not saying there's nothing good in the world and there, there's not, you know, beauty and glory, because certainly there is. But I think what he's saying is, if, if you want a solution that goes to the root of the problem, you're going to need more than a little bit of a tweak, a little bit of a, a straightening. You, you're going to need to be saved. You're going to need to be rescued out of the darkness. I feel a little bit like this when we talk about uh, the racial injustice in our country and, and uh, the, the, some of the remedies that are being put forth that are very important. Right? They're uh, economic remedies and remedies in uh, police forces and remedies uh, in, in several parts of just our social order, all of which are important and good. But in a way, those things are kind of like trying to straighten out something that's crooked. And, and is, is that going to work to some degree? It's going to work to some degree. But there's also a degree in which it is not going to work. I mean, this is why there's so much hope in the gospel in this conversation, mm -hmm. right? It is that the gospel can actually do more than just transform people's actions, which are important, but the gospel can actually transform people's desires, their will. <laughs> it is God who works in the converted Christian to will and to act or work according to God's good purpose. This is our ultimate hope, that anything can be changed. And, and, and what it means is, church, you can be that shining light. 
You can be that shining light in, in the area of racial justice and in the, the areas of, of, of sexuality and, and all these areas that are such difficult issues in our current day. And we have the grace, not just that saves us from our sin, but transforms us in the daily, in the here and now. And when that happens, we shine. That's what Paul's described. We're shining to a world that's in darkness. And he really is saying that it's the church. He's not, necessarily, he's not saying the, the, the individual Christian. Now, sure, you can be a light to your friends, and, and that's important. But, but really, from Paul's perspective in this passage, he's saying, he even says it, the, the children of God. Like he's talking about the community of faith in, in a local church. And he's saying the way you do life together and on mission is going to be the light that shines uh, in the darkness. And so uh, we, we, we're, we're getting some, some indicators, right, of whether or not we're working at our salvation. So, so far, this idea of, of emptying ourselves of, of self-interest and, and looking to the interest of others, um, that's been a theme both in last week and this week, right? That, and so that's in the church, uh, not grumbling, not disputing, right? And then this idea of being a light to the world. So now that's another indicator that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is working itself out uh, in, our, in our lives. Um, but there's also this verse 16, um, as if you know, we would have forgotten the gospel in Paul's description here. He wants to make sure we don't forget it. And so the first phrase in verse 16 is holding fast to the word of life. This is, this is, a, great, this is a great word, a pecho. Uh, to hold fast or to hold on. What's interesting is this Greek word can also mean hold out or hold forth. <laughs> so on one hand, you're holding on, you're holding fast. On another hand, you're holding out, you're holding forth. It's exactly what Paul's been describing. Both working your salvation out in the community of faith, that is the local church, but also working your salvation out in the mission, out in the world. Right? And so this gives us a, a third indicator that we are working our salvation out, um, that we're holding on, we're holding out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? And then there's one more. There's one more indicator, and that one more indicator is joy. It's joy. Uh, after he talks about holding, uh, holding out or holding on to the word of, of life, he says, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am, poured, uh, am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul, as he's given us this great like, theology of sanctification and he's given us some illustrations for how that might look if we, work, if we actually take that uh, truth and start to live it out on a daily uh, basis, and then he goes, to, he goes upward. Right? Again, this is, this is the name of this uh, sermon series, Upward and Onward. And, and he's constantly doing this. And so he goes upward and he starts thinking about the day of Christ, the, the end of all days. And he's, he's thinking of it and he's thinking of it with joy and with gladness. And we need that, right? Because let's just be honest, it's hard. It's hard to engage in this sanctification process on a regular basis. And either we're, we're just apathetic and we're not engaged or we're engaged with our own wills 
And, and we just kind of vacillate back and forth, and all the while just trying to figure out what does it look like to live by faith? That this, is, this is not easy. And so Paul, knowing that, just, he goes upward, and, he, and he's like, hey, guys, in the midst of this, there's joy. There's great joy. Knowing that you have been saved by grace, that you will be saved by grace in the end of all days. And with that joy, you can keep persevering, working your salvation out with fear and trembling. So how do we respond? Um, I think one is to ask yourself, well, have I seen the light? Have I seen the light? Have I come to that conclusion that, that, that I am crooked, I am twisted? And that I need way more than just a, a little bit of a straightening out. I, I, that I have more than a, a little spiritual scoliosis. I'm in the darkness. And I need Christ to save me. And it's not a, I'll do 50%, God will do 50%, and we'll work this thing out. It, it's 100%, God, I need you to save me. If you've never come to that place, this may be your day. I pray that it is that you reach out in faith to God today and ask Him to forgive you, uh, to reconcile you to Him, to begin this journey of Him working out His, his will, uh, to will and to, to work according to His good purpose. Um, receive that today. If, if you've not done that, if, if you're hearing that and you're saying, I want to do that or I think I want to do that, i just not quite sure uh, what you're saying, or I want to talk more, please reach out to us. Um, and you're welcome to, to just let us know in the chat, or you can certainly go to our website, mercyhouse365.org slash respond. So there's some, like a more thorough description of the gospel. There's some forms there that you could fill out and let us know, hey, I'd like to talk more, or I received Christ today. We'd love to hear back and uh, find out if, if, if you made those steps of faith. But what if I have made those steps of faith? Like, well, how, how, do I, how do I respond? Um, and so on one hand, I, I hope you're encouraged. <laughs> I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're encouraged that, that you need not rely on your will to just do better this week, but that you need to learn how to rely on the grace of God by faith. That's, that's really what you're doing. If you've been treading water and flapping your arms and kicking your feet wildly or you've just kind of grown limp and you're floating to the bottom, to repent of that and to turn to God in faith. And yes, you, you, you've done that already in terms of just coming to Him for that once and for all forgiveness and reconciliation, but there's also a sense in which you keep coming back to Him, asking for grace, transforming grace. You're not saving grace, you're already saved but transforming grace such that you learn how to relax in the water of His grace that, that keeps you uh, afloat. And I want to say one, one more thing, and, and I, I've, I've kind of addressed this a, a little bit, but just uh, address discouragement. Because it, it gets discouraging. Um, I remember um, a conversation that I, I saw that uh, John Piper, who's a pastor and uh, founder of Desiring God Ministries, and they were asking him, you know, do you ever doubt? Do you ever doubt your faith? Do you ever doubt Jesus? And he said, you know, the one thing that makes me doubt is the slowness of my sanctification. Mm -hmm. And that, I, I mean, I can resonate with that, right? Mm -hmm. 
I mean, you ask me about the historical reliability of the Bible or um, do I believe that the resurrection really happened and those kinds of things. Like, those things are so rock solid and, and are such just solid ground upon which I can place my faith. But he's right. There's days when there's character flaws, there's, there's things going on in your, in your soul that have, you've been uh, dealing with on a, on a long-term basis. And one day you think, I've got this whipped, and the other day it comes back, mm-hmm. and, it, and it becomes this really discouraging kind of an experience. Uh, and I, I think our natural tendency is that we, we think, oh, I just need to look at my little victories, <laughs> Look at how far I've come, and I'm, I'm a, I'll kind of coach myself up, give myself a pep talk. But really, that's not where we should go. We should go to the ultimate victory. Mm-hmm. And that's the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, so that's where we go. We go to His victory, which is a victory that has saved us from sin once for all. It is saving us now through transforming grace, and it will save us in the life to come. So with that in mind, let's, let's enter into a time of prayer, a time of praising God for who He is and what He's done in His work. Let's, let's uh, confess our sin unto Him. And let's make requests known to Him in light of these scriptures. I'm going to ask Tommy to come on and lead that time.